to our world. Well, this morning, if you've got your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 55, uh, we're going to look at our foundational scripture. We began a brand new series last Sunday entitled Upside Down and Backwards. And we began talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, and Isaiah 55, verse 6 through 9 says this, Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that He may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God and He will forgive generously. How many thankful that there is mercy and forgiveness in God today? That it is the heart of God, not that people would burn, but that people would turn from their sins and come to Christ and find healing and deliverance and salvation in Him. God's heart is not the destruction of the wicked. God's heart is the salvation of the wicked, that their hearts would be turned to Him. Amen? So, verse 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we said last week that the kingdom of God is upside down and backwards. God's kingdom operates from a spiritual system that is the opposite of this world's system. And God literally invites us to live life at a higher level. But we recognized something last week. We recognized that in order to operate in the kingdom of God, then we have to be willing to repent, right? Repentance is not what happens just when you get saved. Repentance is what begins at salvation and really accompanies us through the remainder of our Christian life. Repentance is the key to sanctification or becoming more and more like Jesus because I have to continually, literally change the way I think. And I have to come into alignment with the Holy Spirit who now lives in me as a born-again believer that bears witness to the truths of Jesus Christ so I can live a life that literally pleases the Lord. Now we said last Sunday that our challenge, right, the challenge that we face is that we have all been programmed from birth by a world system that is in opposition to God. We have been literally brainwashed by this world. And the challenge with that realization is simply this. We have been so entrenched and so trained by the world system that when the kingdom of God comes, all of a sudden God's ways and God's thoughts seem so foreign to us that we have a tendency to push away from instead of draw near to the very heart of God. And so that's why we have to repent. We have to change the way we think. We have to recognize that if my way of thinking doesn't line up with God's way of thinking, then I'm wrong and he's right. I mean, no, that's a good thing. I'm wrong and he's right. And I need to get in agreement with God. Amen? Because when I come into agreement with God, that's what faith is. Faith agrees with God. When I come into agreement with God, all of a sudden my life begins to change because as we see today, we begin to operate in his kingdom. Last week we talked about also how that the kingdom of God shifts our focus from the temporal to the eternal. And we said that the kingdom of God is not measured by what I have, but by who I reach, right? Jesus said, I don't want you just to fish for fish, Peter. I want you to fish for people. And we talked about that no matter what your vocation is, we're not just intended to make a living. We're actually called to build a kingdom life where we reach people. And every day on your job, every day in your family, every day in our world, you have an opportunity not just to make a living, but to build a kingdom life that touches other people with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And what a joy it is, right? It is really a joy and a privilege to know that I'm not just working for a living. I'm building a life. Come on, somebody. I mean, anybody can make a living, but we get to build a kingdom life that's going to last forever. And the good news about building a kingdom life, it doesn't matter my vocation or my occupation. What matters is that I use my vocation and occupation as a tool to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because people that won't come to church will go to work. <laughs> and they'll spend eight hours a day on a machine right next to you. They'll spend eight hours a day in an office right next to you. They'll spend eight hours a day working right beside you. The light of the darkness. Think about that. God pays them money to share the gospel with them. And God pays you money so you can go and be a light in the darkness so that other people can see who Jesus Christ is. That's a pretty awesome thought. Amen? So guess what? You're in full-time ministry. All right? You've been getting paid to share the gospel and you didn't even know it. Come on, somebody. That's good stuff. Welcome to the ministry. All right. Praise the Lord. So let's talk today. Today I want to talk about what is really, I believe, probably to be the foundation stone of what it means to live in and operate in the kingdom of God. Look at that first point on your outline. The kingdom of God is upside down and backwards because God's kingdom operates by faith and not by sight. God's kingdom operates by faith and not by sight. And this shifts our confidence and our dependence from what we see to what God says. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith doesn't come by seeing. Think about that for just a second. Faith comes by hearing and it's hearing the word of God that releases faith. Every time you get a revelation from God, every time God speaks to you, that word from God is literally a word of faith that releases confidence on the inside of you to pursue the thing that God has for you. Has anybody here ever got a word from God? You ever got a word from God? If you've ever got a word from God, all of a sudden you knew something changed. When you got born again, you got a word from God. Do you remember that day? Do you remember when you got saved? All of a sudden you heard something, you saw something, you experienced something, and the Holy Spirit spoke to you, and you knew that you knew that you knew that you needed Jesus. And it was that word of faith, it was that word of God that released faith on the inside of you to step out, and whether it's pray the sinner's prayer or however it is you came to Christ, somehow you opened your mouth and you believed in your heart that Christ was the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and you got born again. Amen? Don't you love to hear those salvation stories where people say stuff like this? Help. You ever heard people get saved like that? I've heard so many testimonies where people got saved with praying this really long sinner's prayer. Help God. If you're a real God, come into my life. If you're really there, I believe in you. And all of a sudden, it's amazing how God meets us. Amen? And all it takes is one word from God spoken into your heart, quickened by the Holy Spirit. Now, now let me just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw something out here and you can chew on this. God's word is God's word, and every word from God is for you, but not every word from God is for you. Every word of God is for you, but not every word of God is for you. God's word is true, and this is the word of God for everybody. But how many you know that God speaks specifically to you? Because you're unique. Imagine, imagine, how, how many of you have, have kids in here? A lot of you, awesome, that's a good group right here. Be fruitful and multiply, amen, come on Jesus. So, imagine if you said the same thing to every kid in your life. 
How weird would that be? You don't talk the same to every child because every child is different. And every child has different gifts, talents, and abilities. And if you're a good parent, I know that you are, you're trying to draw out the things that God has put in them. So you say certain things to certain kids, and you encourage certain kids this way, and you even discipline them differently, right? You discipline them differently, and the way we lived in our house, the rules are the same for everybody, but hey, guess what? We're going to administer those rules uniquely to every child in the house because every child in the house receives instruction, correction, and direction differently because they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And every word of God is for you, but not every word of God is for you. And it's when the word of God is quickened in your heart that all of a sudden faith comes. See, that's why 100 people can hear the same message and 3 people can get healed and delivered and 97 people can walk away the same they walked in. I had a guy in our 8 o'clock service, I'll just share this with you. He came up to me after service. He's been on oxygen for the last couple weeks. He said, Pastor Keith, does this mean I need to lay my oxygen down and walk out of here without it? I said, what God say? He said, well, I heard you say. I said, what God say? I said, when the Holy Spirit tells you to lay it down, lay it down. But praise God for oxygen, praise God for medicine, praise God for doctors. Aren't y'all thankful for all those people? Praise God for them. God gives them wisdom. And we walk in wisdom until we get a word of faith that trumps the wisdom of the world. And the moment you get a word of faith that trumps the wisdom of the world, you can lay down the oxygen and you can breathe. Right? You can lay down the medicine and you'll still be healed. But if you lay it down without a word, you'll die. Let me tell a little story. This is just not, it's, it's humorous, but it's not really humorous. As many of you know, Kelly went through a severe battle of depression. We battled, she battled severe depression for 10 years. And one time I was reading in the Bible, and uh, I like to read the Bible. You know, that's a good thing for preachers to do. I was reading the Bible, and I read the scripture where Jesus talks about the boy that was tormented, and, and he said to the disciples, they couldn't cast the demon out. And he said, this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. Y'all remember that scripture? So I, I went to God, and I said, Lord, I said, your word says... That the strongholds of the enemy can be broken by prayer and fasting. And this is what I said to God. I said, Lord, I said, I'm going to fast until you heal Kelly. I'm not going to eat anything until you heal her. And I mean, I heard the Holy Spirit just like that quick. He said, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die. That's what he said. I said, Lord, your word says. He said, you are not going to manipulate me with my word. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> I went and ate a cheeseburger or something, I'm sure. I don't know what I ate, but it was good. So. The kingdom of God operates by faith, and the kingdom of God is upside down and backwards. So there's a shift in our confidence from what we see, because how many of you know that in the natural realm, that's how we operate? The world operates by what they see. If I can see it, if I can touch it, if I can taste it, if I can feel it, it must be real. But God says that there is a reality that is beyond what you can see. How many of you in this room today believe there's a heaven and a hell? Anybody believe that? How many of you online believe that? If you believe it, type in the little chat box, I believe. If you believe that there's a real heaven and a real hell, I don't know about you. I've never seen heaven and I've never seen hell, but I believe it's there. You believe in a reality 
that is more real than anything you have seen. You've never seen it, but you believe it, and you know that it is real, and you know there's life after death, and you know those who have died in Christ have been called up into the presence of the Lord, and those who reject Christ spend eternity separated from Him in a place called hell. We know it, and we believe it, but we've never seen it. Why? Because that's the kingdom. The kingdom invites us into a spiritual realm that is more real than anything you can see, anything you can touch, anything you can taste, and anything that you can feel. Because your eyes will deceive you. Your eyes will deceive you. What you see will lie to you. Can somebody say social media? Right? If you look at social media, everybody has a perfect family, lives in a perfect world, and they have perfect meals. Have you? I, I, I'm just. Why does everybody want to show me everything they're eating? Breakfast, lunch, supper. I want to have a snack here. But if you look at all their food, it's perfect. Have you noticed that? It's perfect. And if you look at social media, everybody has a perfect family, lives in a perfect world, and they're eating perfect meals. But we all know that's not true. We all know they argued and fought for 30 minutes before they got that one good picture with all the kids. Right? We know they were screaming, yelling, fussing, and fighting before they ever said click. And it was like, whoa, praise God. And then everybody went their separate ways because they couldn't stand to look at each other for the next few minutes. See, that's real. But your eyes will deceive you. What you see, what you smell. Have you ever smelled something you thought was really good and then took a bite of it? Have you ever wondered, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just having a little fun this one. Have you ever wondered why somebody tastes something bad and they say, here, taste this. This is horrible. Taste it. You ever been? <laughs> why do we do that? I don't know. That's, I'm sorry. So, there has to be a shift. And the shift from faith, from the, from the natural realm where I live by what I can see, to a realm of faith where I live by what God says is a supernatural shift. Because it moves me from that reality of what I can touch into a reality of what is beyond what can even be seen that is more real than anything we've ever known before. And that is the kingdom of God. So, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Over the next two Sundays, we're going to digest and dissect Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 11. And for all you note takers... We're going to work about halfway through the outline that you got this morning. Because yesterday I realized it will be impossible for us to preach through this in about 30 to 40 minutes. So we're going to divide it up into two sections. Is that all right with you guys? So we'll, we'll do part two of this thing next Sunday anyway and break it on down. So we're going to look at 11 verses in Hebrews chapter 11 starting with verse 1. Look what the Bible says, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Which is by the way, Hebrews 11 if you don't know is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence, excuse me, of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the active ingredient. I want you to hear this. Faith is the active ingredient that creates the tangible and manifests the invisible. Literally, faith takes from what is in the spirit realm and manifests it in the natural realm. Faith is the substance. It's the elements through which hope is made of. Now, we live in a world, you ever heard somebody say this, don't get your hopes up? You ever heard that? People say it all the time. Well, I just don't want you to get your hopes up. You know why they don't want you to get your hopes up? Because they believe if you can't see it, touch it, taste it, it probably ain't real. But the Bible says faith 
is the substance of things hoped for. The word hope means an expectation of good. Your expectation of good is a reflection of the faith that you have. If you're not expecting good things in your marriage, you don't have faith for your marriage. If you're not expecting good things in your finances, you don't have faith for your finances. If you're not expecting good things in your life and in your family, then you're not, you don't have faith in your life and in your family. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the thing that bursts hope. There's an expectation that says, I believe good things are going to happen. I believe that God is going to move. I believe that supernatural things are going to take place because I believe in a supernatural God. And I have an expectation of good because I have a faith in a living God that is good. Can I get an amen? He is good, right? And when I have faith in a good God, it produces an expectation for good that says, I believe that my best days are ahead. As I was thinking about this scripture, Hebrews 11, praying over it this week, the Lord just reminded me, and I want to just challenge you to do something this morning. I want you just to kind of look around, if you will. Just kind of look around. Look at all the people around you today. Just kind of look at them. Give them a great big old smile. I want you to look around at the building that we're sitting in this morning. Look at all these lights and stuff. A bunch of stuff in here. 23 years ago, 23 years ago, everything that you now see was a word of faith. 23 years ago, everything that you now see was a word of faith. Alan and Sherry, John Wesley's mom and dad, they were with us in those early days. He told me yesterday, he said, man, this thing looks a lot different than it did 23 years ago. 23 years ago, there were three couples meeting in mine and Kelly's living room, praying and believing that North Alabama's greatest church will one day be a reality. 23 years ago, we hadn't even opened the doors of a church. There was no Liberty Church. There was a word from God. That's it. And 23 years later, there are three locations, four, four campuses, counting our online campus, and hundreds and hundreds of people that call Liberty Church their home. And you are here today as a manifestation of faith. None of this existed, but God said it 23 years ago. God said, I want you to build North Alabama's greatest church. I want you to take the strengths of every denomination and bring them under one roof. I want you to focus on Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. I want you to be a hub of revival that will connect the body of Christ and reach a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to be a soul-winning, disciple-making, devil-stomping church that is focused on making a difference in one more person's life. And 23 years later, here we are. 23 years later, here you are. And I just want to let you know something. The same faith that birthed this church is the same faith that's driving us forward. Same faith that birthed us is the same faith that sustains us. Because I still believe that God is not done. Amen? I believe we're just getting started. I believe we've just tasted the tip of the iceberg. And there is so much more that God wants to do in us and through us to reach our world with the gospel. Because it all began with a word of faith. One word from God. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And here we are today, 23 years later, because God spoke a word. Amen? So look at that first point on your outline. So let's talk about how faith works. How, what does faith do and how do we operate in the kingdom of God when we operate by faith? Look at Hebrews 
11 verse 2. The Bible says, For by faith the elders obtained a good testimony. So that first point on your outline there says, By faith we obtain a good testimony. By faith we obtain a good testimony. Faith creates credibility in a world of cynicism. By faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. He's speaking of the fathers of the faith. And by faith, they obtained a good testimony, a good witness that declared that God was who God said he was. By faith, they obtained a good testimony. And it's by faith that we create credibility in a world of cynicism. How many know our world is pretty judgmental of the church? I mean, it's really crazy when you look out there. There is really one organization on planet Earth that can be freely and openly targeted by everybody and nothing happens and that's the church, the body of Christ. You can speak evil of no one, but you can speak evil of the church and it's okay. It's socially, politically acceptable. And we live in a very cynical world that is cynical and critical and judgmental of the church and they're always looking for an opportunity to undermine who God really is by pointing at the church. And we also understand something. We understand that one of the greatest challenges that we as Christians have in overcoming the cynicism of the world is that there is this little thing called hypocrisy. Where you say one thing and then you live another. We say we believe in a loving God and we hate the world and treat them really bad. We say we believe that Jesus not only forgives, but he empowers us to live in victory over sin, but yet we continue to return to the same old thing that we've been returning to over and over again. Years ago, you guys have heard this, people said for many years, they say, well, you know, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Pastor Keith, he said, he said I don't want to go to the church. He said, the church is full of hypocrites. And I heard a guy make this statement one time, and I borrowed it from him. He said, well, I'd rather go to church with a bunch of hypocrites than go to hell with them. I thought that was a pretty good quote. As I was studying this, the Holy Spirit spoke something to me, and I want to just share this with you. Just a simple thought this morning. We're going to live by faith. The kingdom of God operates by faith, not by sight. The realization is if you have a behavioral problem, your behavior is really a reflection of your belief. And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, he said, your life is a perfect manifestation of your faith. You are who you are because that's really what you believe. Now think about that for a minute. Think about the fact that maybe your life is a perfect reflection of your faith. That you are who you are because that's what you really believe. Now, we live in a world that operates by sight. And so because we operate by sight, we focus on behavioral modification. We like to create external restraints to control people's lives. And we put restraints on ourselves, right? We call them diets. We put restraints on other people. And if you really have a bad behavioral problem, we'll put you in a cell and lock you up for about 25 years. <laughs> Sounded like experience speaking to me. So here's the revelation. The revelation is you can be in a prison for 25 years and we can control your behavior. And we say, but if your heart doesn't change, you'll never change. And that's correct. But the thing that changes your heart is faith. 
Unless you believe that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do, then you'll get out of prison and you'll live the same old way you used to live. You'll come off the diet and you'll start eating like you used to eat. And nothing will really change because behavioral modification is how the world operates. That's not the kingdom. In the Old Testament, God gave them the law to create external restraints for a season. It wasn't for a lifetime. God was setting the stage for Jesus who would bring internal transformation so that by faith we might become what we could never be by the restraints of the law. And so the realization is simply this. If there's an area in your life where your behavior doesn't match your confession of faith, then you have a faith problem, not a behavior problem. So you've got to believe that the same God that saved you is also the same God that can keep you from going back into sin. And I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of lies that we believe. I told you earlier, we have been, we have been indoctrinated by this world system where the world has allowed us to believe, oh yeah, you can get saved and you might even go to heaven if there really is one, but you're still going to be a drug addict or you're still going to be a liar or you're still going to be bound by this addiction or you're still going to lie and cheat and steal because nobody can really come out of that stuff. You are what you've always been because that's the way you were born. Well, guess what? You can be born again. Amen? And you can get a new nature and you can serve a, a great God who wants to deliver you and set you free. But until you believe that you can be free from the things that bind you, you'll live in bondage to them. Had an opportunity just several weeks ago with, with uh, Pastor James and Christine at Celebrate Recovery. We did a little Q&A session. And one of the questions we answered at Celebrate Recovery is why do some people get delivered immediately and some people it takes weeks, months, years and, and there's not a simple answer, but let me give you a foundational answer. It all comes down to one thing, faith. It's what you believe. Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And I meet a lot of Christians that believe they're going to constantly struggle with things in their life. Well, you know, this is just my, 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 my thorn in my flesh. This is just my cross to carry and I'm just going to struggle with this the rest of my life. Jesus said he came to set you free. That whom the son sets free is free indeed. There is no sin. There is no stronghold. There is no bondage. There is no anything that trumps the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood purchased us, redeemed us, reconciled us and set us free from the bondage of sin. We are no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. And to the degree that you believe that is the degree that your behavior will manifest it. And you can spend the rest of your life pruning fruit, which is behavior, or you can deal with the root, which is a heart of faith that has to believe God. And the moment your heart comes into alignment with God, your behavior will begin to follow. It may not be, bam, overnight, but it will be a process of manifestation where it was done and settled and delivered the moment you believe that God said it was true. See, 23 years ago, I believe we were building North Alabama's greatest church, and then we opened the doors with three couples. Didn't look anything like North Alabama's greatest church. Now we've got several hundred people that call Liberty Church our home. We've got three locations, four campuses, and we're still not there yet. But the moment I believed it, it became a reality. And the challenge now is to stay in faith. What begins in faith has to be matured by faith, 
and it has to we have to stay in that place of faith to see the continued working of God manifested in our life because it is my faith and it is your faith that manifests the kingdom what God said becomes a reality when we believe the word of the Lord so by faith they obtained a good testimony look at that next point by faith we understand the power of the spoken word faith calls those things that are not as though they were. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In Genesis 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep water, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. And then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. By faith, we understand the power of the spoken word. By faith, we understand that everything that is visible was made by the power of God's word spoken. When you leave here today and you drive home, look at the trees, look at, look at the grass, look at everything that you can see, every house that you've ever lived in, every car you've ever driven, driven and everything that you can see, touch, taste, and feel was made by something God created in six days. Humans don't actually create anything. We just take what God created and we make stuff out of it. Right? Humans have never created anything. We make things from what God created in six days. Everything you see was created by the spoken word of God. And it's by faith we understand that. And it's by faith we understand that death and life is in the power of the tongue, that our words have power, that we were created in the image of God. Therefore, our words have power. And we can speak and we can decree. Jesus said, whoever says to that mountain, be thou removed and be cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says, it shall be done. He shall have whatever he says. But if you operate by sight, you'll say what you see. If God would have said what he saw in Genesis chapter 1, he would have said, boy, it's dark out there. Because the Bible says darkness covered the face of the deep. But God looked at the darkness and God did not say what he saw. God said what he wanted. He called those things that were not as though they were because he was creating something that was going to perpetuate into life for all of us that are here today. And so if you walk by sight, you'll continually say what you see. And the more you say what you see, the more you'll get what you say. And when you see sickness, you'll speak sickness. And when you see death, you'll speak death. And when you see discouragement, you'll speak discouragement. And when you see depression, you'll speak depression. And when you see anxiety, you'll speak anxiety. And it'll just get worse, and it'll just get worse, and it'll just get worse. And the more you say it, the more you see it, and the more you say it, the more it'll produce in your life. But the moment you begin to operate by faith, you stop saying what you see, and you start saying what God says. And you start decreeing the decrees of the Lord and you begin to declare life where there was death. You begin to declare hope where there was hopelessness. You begin to declare peace where there was depression and anxiety. And all of a sudden you begin to speak life to what was once dead. It begins to rise up. Because that's faith. 
And when you operate by faith, you operate in the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, the, the spiritual becomes physical as it is manifested in your life by faith. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And by faith, we understand that we can call those things that are not as though they were. You ought to do a study on words in your Bible. It is amazing the power of our words. Amen? Look at that next point, our last point for today. By faith, we offer God our first fruits. Faith honors God as the source of every good thing. By faith, we offer God our first fruits. Faith honors God as the source of every good thing. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. It was by faith that he offered a more excellent sacrifice. I want you to see that. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. So look in Genesis 4. Let's read about Abel's offering. Y'all remember Cain and Abel? They were the first kids in the Bible. And the Bible says in verse 3, Genesis 4, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. I want you to recognize something. God was not playing favorites in the garden. By faith, Abel offered, the Bible says, a more excellent sacrifice. He offered God the first fruits of his flock. It was by faith. God was not playing favorites. And it wasn't that God liked lambs over crops. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. By faith, he offered the first fruits. By faith, he gave the best from his flock, the first of the flock. Cain gave God some. Abel gave God first. And this is a powerful principle because it's only by faith that we offer God our first fruits. Let me just tell you this. God is not impressed by the size of the gift. God is honored by the faith in the gift. Do you remember the woman in the New Testament, the widow? She gave a widow's mite less than a penny. And you know what Jesus said about her? He said she has given more. And everybody else and the disciples were like, Jesus, I don't know what you've been doing, where you got your math from, but it ain't right. Jesus said, no, everybody else gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her lack. It wasn't the size of the gift. It was the faith behind the gift that honors God. Faith honors God and God honors faith. God accepted Abel's offering because it was the first fruits offering and it was an act of faith. He rejected Cain's offering not because he didn't like what he gave him but because it wasn't offered in faith. And the only way to operate by faith is to give God what's first. Think about that. 
The only way to operate by faith is to give God what's first. And then people sometimes will say, well, Pastor Keith, let's talk about, let's talk about money and tithing for a minute. Is that all right with you guys? People say, Pastor Keith, I don't, I don't believe in tithing. I think it's an Old Testament principle. Well, let me just blow your mind for a second. I want to submit to you that it's not a New Testament principle. It's not an Old Testament principle. It's a kingdom principle. And it has nothing to do with money, but it has everything to do with faith. Faith honors God. Before Moses and the law, Cain and Abel are offering their first fruits to God, and God is accepting Abel's offering, and God is rejecting Cain's offering, not based on the gift, but on the faith behind it. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six says, it is impossible to please God. The only way to give God by faith is to give God the first. Think about that. If I pay my bills... Buy my groceries, take care of everything I want to take care of, and then give God what's left. That requires no faith. It requires no faith for me to bring you my leftovers out of the fridge and feed you. It requires faith for me to buy you groceries first before I go get any food. It has to come first or there is no faith. And again, it's not the size of the gift. It is the faith behind the gift that pleases God. And this is significant because we are supposed to live by faith. And you know what happens when you live by faith? You offer God your best. You offer God your best. You offer God the first of your life. You give Him the first fruits of your time, the first fruits of your energy, the first fruits of your life. You know why we worship on Sunday morning? It's resurrection morning, of course, but it's the first day of the week. And what you do with the first determines what happens with the rest. We gather together on Sunday because it's the first day of the week, and we're giving God our first fruits offering by coming to worship Him and celebrate Him and honor Him. Well, Pastor Keith, can I worship God and celebrate God every day of the week? Absolutely. Just watch my Everyday Sunday videos, right? Every day is Sunday. I say it every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday. Why? Because you can worship God every day of the week, but only one day is the first day. Only one day is the first day. And only the first is the first. Think about that. Only the first is the first. And faith offers God the first. Faith doesn't give God what's left. Faith gives God what is first, and it's faith that honors God. Now, I want, to give you, I want to give you one last scripture here. I want you to see this with me. It's not on your outline, but you might want to write this one down. Romans 14, verse 23. Romans 14, 23. In Romans chapter 14, the apostle Paul is talking about not eating anything that will cause your brother to stumble, not drinking anything that will cause him to stumble, He's talking about walking in love and honoring our brothers upon, uh, over, over one another. And then he makes this, this little statement in verse 23. He says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is what? Now, Paul just wrecked everything. He, he just said, your eating can be sin. Now, we know if you overeat, it's sin, right? Y'all agree with me? We call that gluttony, and it's not good. Come on, somebody. All them Reese cups the other day, that was bad. I mean, that was bad. It tasted good, but it was bad. It, it, absolutely, it was sin, okay? No doubt about it. It was sin. 
But here's what I want you to see. Listen to what Paul says. So he's talking about the things that we eat and literally the things that we drink. This is as simple as it gets right here. He's breaking it down to our everyday life. And he says, you know, we shouldn't eat something that offends somebody. He says, but if your conscience is clean. And he was talking about things that have been offered to idols. If you back up and read the rest of the chip, chapter, he said, if, if, you all, if you eat something that was offered to an idol, somebody who has a weaker conscience may look at that and they may think you're, all, you're worshiping that idol by eating that food that was offered to the idol. He said, so if eating that food causes your brother to sin, causes your brother to stumble, don't eat the food. He said, but if your conscience is clear, then eat it. But if you doubt, don't eat. Because anything not done in faith is sin. So let's talk about three things we talked about today. We talked about our faith creates a good testimony. So it is our faith that dictates our behavior. We talked about our faith dictates our words. And then our faith dictates our offerings to God. So I want you to see something. You can have the right behavior. You can have the right words. You can have the right offering. And if you don't have faith, it's sin. Because it's not religious ritual, guys. God, God's not looking for robots. God's looking for relationship. And the right behavior and the right words and the right offering can all be sin if it's not done in faith. If it's not done out of a faith, God, I'm going to live for you because I believe you died for me. God, I'm going to speak life because by faith I understand that the words, the world was framed by the word of God and words have power. And God, I'm going to give you my first fruits, my best offering from my life because I believe that Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection and you gave your best for me. And because I believe, I behave. And because I believe, I speak. And because I believe, I give. It's not religious ritual. God, God is calling us to the kingdom, which is a relationship with Him. It's a place of faith where we live out of a heart that desires to please the Lord. And it's liberating. And it's freeing. And it's supernatural. Because all of a sudden, my behavior and my words and my giving are not dictated by external restraints. I'm not going to do the right thing because I don't want to get in trouble. And I'm not going to say the wrong thing because I don't want to produce the wrong thing. And I'm not going to give the wrong thing because I want to be blessed. I'm no longer going to be controlled by external restraints. I'm going to live from a heart of faith in the kingdom because I believe. I believe that God is good and I believe that everything he said is true and I believe that the God's ways are the best ways to live my life. And out of a place of faith, I'm going to live my life for the glory of God. And that's so powerful and it's so good because you can be free from the external restraints and live in the liberty that comes through the Holy Spirit that honors God and honors His Word. So let's just bow our heads today. I want to do two things this morning. I do these two things every Sunday. The first thing I want to do is whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online is I want to challenge you with this thought. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? 
I'm not talking about are you a good person. I'm not talking about have you ever prayed a prayer. I'm not talking about do you go to church. I'm talking about have you been, Jesus called it, being born again. Where the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes and lives in your heart. And you have been raised to life and you know it. You're not who you used to be. You're not who you used to be. You, you ain't got it all worked out. There's still kinks. There's still bumps. There's still bruises. You're still walking out this thing called faith. But you know that you know that you know that your heart was changed. For me, that was at 15 years old. I have no doubt. I know that I know that I know at 15 years old on a Sunday night in a Baptist church, I got born again, and my life has never been the same. Hasn't been perfect, but it's never been the same. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, I've never had that experience, but today I believe. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again on the third day. And today I want to commit my life to follow him. If that's you, whether in person or online, if that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. Today I want to be born again. Today I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. If you're watching online, just hit that little hand emoji. Type in the comment box, I'm raising my hand. If that's you today, just lift your hand this morning. Jesus died on a cross for you. So you could be saved. We're about to pray together. But before we pray, I want to just give a challenge. For those of you that are here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I'm a Christian. I know that I'm saved. I know I've been born again. But I really haven't been living by faith. I've been following my eyes. I've been allowing the external restraints of this world to govern me instead of the internal direction of the Holy Spirit by faith. And maybe my behavior ain't right. And maybe, maybe my words aren't right. And maybe my life just isn't right. But I realize today the problem is not the fruit. The problem is the root. That there's something in me that just... I just haven't fully believed. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. I believe that, that when I cried out to him I was saved. But there's so much more he wants to do in my life. And today I just want a heart of faith. I want to trust him more than I've ever trusted him before. If that's you, I want you just to slip your hand up. Today, I want to trust him more. Today, I want to trust him more. We're going to pray right now for those that raise their hand for salvation. But I want you to know that God saw your hand. It's that act of faith that says, God, I want to trust you more. God, help my unbelief. That's what the, the boy's father said. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So, Lord, I pray that today you'd help our unbelief. And help us to come to a place of faith that trusts you with everything. So right now, if you raised your hand for salvation, if you're here in person or you're watching online, let's pray this prayer together. I want to ask everybody to say it out loud with me. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I, believe I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you today. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. We're honored to have you and want to encourage you. Let us know you prayed that prayer today. We want to help you take those next steps. God bless you today. We love you. You are dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.